You're listening to Where We Are, a weekend conversation on faith, politics, family, and culture, hosted by me, Michael Ware, and my wife, Melissa. We bring our wide-ranging experiences in politics, ministry, and nonprofit life to bear as we discuss the issues of the day. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about a new concept, political therapeutic deism. What is it? What does it mean for your life? This is Where We Are. This is where we are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. Melissa, there is so much going on in the news right now, but uh, it all seems to be, uh, so much of it seems to be in in flux. Yeah. The the, uh, Biden administration continues to deliberate on its response to the Iranian-backed militia that uh, attacked and killed multiple U.S. service members. We've started to see some of the military response unfold over the last 48 hours, but unclear whether that's going to continue. Mm-hmm. What's the strategy? Uh, what, what's the strategy uh, in Congress? Quite a lot. Uh, we yeah. saw tech CEOs brought in front of uh, brought in front of uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Mm-hmm. That caught some eyeballs. Um, we're also seeing uh, uh, the state of the border security yep. and Israel funding. That's in flux. Speaker Johnson just announced again over the weekend that uh, it's he's going to advance Israel funding independently, but that's in flux. So child a, tax credit, child tax credit. There's a lot in the news. A lot of it is in flux. We'll probably talk about some of these issues uh, in the coming weeks. But thought that we talk about a, a concept on this episode that uh, is is hopefully going to be helpful to to listeners thinking about how we relate to politics, the place that we give politics in our lives and uh, that concept is political therapeutic deism before we get into it anything anything you want to share melissa well this is your own term and it's a play on moral therapeutic deism which might be the thing that everybody who's listening has heard of at least once maybe knows very well what it is so you created this new term, political therapeutic deism. But first, what is moral therapeutic deism? Yeah, so moral therapeutic deism comes from Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton. Yeah. Uh, and the term comes from a book that they wrote uh, in 2005 that resulted from uh, interviews that they did with teenagers. Mm-hmm. The book was Soul Searching, the, the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And moral therapeutic deism describes a dominant system of beliefs uh, that are not necessarily Christian, but concerned many uh, Christians because uh, MTD, moral therapeutic deism, uh, sort of seems to fit comfortably into the culture of many churches and Christian Homes, moral therapeutic deism. Here's how uh, John Ortberg defined it or, or described it. Uh, 
uh, it's a quote, the, the kind of prevailing idea about God and, and the notion is there is a God. God does exist. He wants everybody to be nice. That's the moralistic part. He wants me to feel good about myself. That's the therapeutic part. And he's available if I need him in a crisis. But other than that, I really don't have to think about him much. And he doesn't want to and will not interfere with my life. Uh, end quote. Moral therapeutic deism offers a God who will not interfere with real life except to the extent that the God of moral therapeutic deism affirms a person's moral goodness uh, and destiny. And so, so that's, that's moral therapeutic deism. It is somewhat related to the idea of sort of cafeteria religion uh, uh, and uh, uh, sort of these sort of vaguely religious, sometimes vaguely Christian ideas that are, are really actually removed from the theological sort of substance of, of, of the faith. And so that's, that's moral therapeutic deism. Political therapeutic deism uh, describes of religious perspective that exists to offer divine affirmation of one's politics. So political therapeutic deism is sort of the, the use of vague religious notions to affirm or add a, a kind of support to one's politics. Melissa, in the book, I offer five kind of diagnostic statements that are a reflective of political therapeutic deism. And as, as I read these, I wonder if uh, for listeners, specific people in their lives will come to mind. They may even be the kinds of things that, that, that you've thought or think uh, now about politics. But they include statements like, one, God is on my political party's side. Two, my views on political issues are a leading indicator that I am a true Christian. Three, my actions in politics are justified in light of God's general approval of my politics. Four, I do not understand how other Christians could vote for my candidate's opponent. Five, it is clear and obvious which political issues are most important to God. Uh, Melissa, I think political therapeutic deism is like a helpful lens to look through. I also think it helps capture so much of what has made sort of faith politics toxic. Yes. Uh, and uh, hopefully it provides these kinds of statements and this term provides uh, a way for people to sort of identify, oh, that's why this bothers me or that's why this exchange was so uncomfortable or, or this is why, you know, that interaction I had at church sort of unsettled me. Um, we... 
there, I, I find that there are all of these sort of like unnamed, like people know something is wrong <laughs> with, with how faith and politics have been interacting, but there haven't really been good, good terms or ways of thinking about it. I think political, political therapeutic deism is, is, is a way to think about the ways in which faith politics has gotten to be toxic without you know, throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater without, right. um, without sort of uh, sweeping in a whole bunch that I, I don't think is constructive to, to sweep in. What, what would you say? We've been doing this work for years. We've been working in faith and politics for years. And so I'm always excited when a new concept or a new term is brought to the fore, not because I think that it's perfect and you're just at the beginning of thinking about political therapeutic deism like the the benchmarks around the benchmarks the um the fences that are around it what is it what is it not um and i can't wait for folks to start using it and debating it and you being able to chime in on it in terms of you know what i was just saying benchmarks and like the fence around it but I, I honestly, I thought that moral therapeutic deism was so much older than 2005, and I don't know why I did. Um, and moral therapeutic deism has been, I think, helpful as a term. And I think that political therapeutic deism could be the same way, like just like you were saying, and that it will p- provide clarity where there isn't clarity when it comes to what, you know, those, what is it, five statements that you just said? I feel like I hear these statements being made a lot. And at a time when we've got a lot of folks who are starting to notice in the faith demographics in particular, like, wait a second, a lot of the people who would say that they would vote in one way, actually, they're not big church goers, but they call themselves evangelical. Why is that? And I think PTD, uh, political therapeutic deism, I think gives a framework, not the answer, but a framework through which to grapple with paradoxes and things that seem confounding in the current marriage between especially Christianity and politics in in, in in the United States at this moment. What would you say to that? I'm trying to explain some of these dynamics that people are starting to notice with politics, yeah, with their with faith, church-going religiosity, all that stuff. Yeah. So, one of the things I like about political therapeutic deism is that, like moral therapeutic deism, it provides space to say that what's under critique is not Christianity itself. Mm. Uh, this is different from Christian nationalism, where where I I um, you need to do a lot of explaining yes. uh, to uh, to say, well, you know, Christian nationalism uh, is a distortion of the religion, not essential to it then the question is well why call it christian nationalism mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like i just it, it, I, it is um it is at best a to me 
I think it's at best counterproductive strategically. I think it's a confusing term. And at worst, I think it's a kind of a sort of man manipulation. Political therapeutic deism, like moral therapeutic deism, um, there's no risk of people self-identifying as political therapeutic deists, just like there was no risk of people self-identifying yes. as moral therapeutic, therapeutic deists. It's, it's, a, it's a, a lens of assessment. It's a descriptor yes. term that uh, is not, and is kind of very difficult, I think, to be politically charged in a, in a, in a, in a sort of mainstream kind of kind of way, there aren't going to be political. There aren't going to be campaigns against political therapeutic deists. Yeah, I mean, continue on. No, please. Yeah, but I, I do. It's very funny. Uh, this only just hit me while recording this podcast. A couple of things. So I've said in the past on the podcast that I, for a period of my professional life, I worked on the policy countering violent extremism. So the issue of violent extremism, which Christian nationalism is now, and this was, you know, only back from 2015 to 2018, and Christian nationalism wasn't even really a, a concept yet and a term and a thing that was being thrown around. It, it, whenever anybody was talking about Christianity being involved, it was always a factor. and It was usually subsumed um, under like a, you know, white supremacist groups. But at the time, and still to this day, when we talk about violent extremism, usually what is being talked about is um, terrorists and terrorism um, perpetrated by Muslims. And one of the problems that we, ha the work that I was working on with a bunch of scholars was, wait a second, we kept on finding that even with, with ISIL, with Daesh, which still exists to this day, but you know, it was a huge problem for a few years, a very scary group of people, um, is that a lot of people would say, okay, well... Islam is the driving factor for why anybody would want to become a foreign fighter and travel to that region and be part of ISIL or be attracted to it in the first place. It's it's Islam. Islam is the problem. And whenever we're talking about violent extremism, usually Islam has always been framed. That's the driving factor. That is, in fact, the problem where a lot of the research that we were coming up with was saying, actually, it's one of several factors and there's actually some other things that are going on here that tend to be the driving factors, and religion is just one, one, one part of it. Clearly, given the fact that there are a billion plus Muslims yes. around the world, there, and not all of them, there is so plenty clearly, of evidence. <laughs> there's plenty of evidence that this, you know, this framing was completely wrong. And political therapeutic deism, if I, if we had had it years ago, it would have helped so much. With starting the con with all the workshops that I was in, all the conversations that we were in, to start it at that point, rather than started with violent extremism, in which religion would be the automatic thing that would be pulled out as these, it would be essentialized, meaning like treated as the special thing, whereas none of the other factors were treated as like something to be sort of like uh, pulled out and treated as if that were you know this is the thing that that's the problem. It would have been so helpful 
to have this term. It wouldn't have covered everything, but it would have been a much healthier framework for policymakers at the White House, elsewhere, to be thinking about how are they actually countering violent extremism. And right. here's it, and here's the thing: yeah. when it comes to not to return, we have a whole episode on Christian nationalism, episode fifty-five, and so we're we're not going to really dive dive deep into this or belabor this too too much longer but it's so funny it hit me this is the second point that hit me that the focus is on christianity being the problem with christian nationalism when that's the exact same playbook right of this work of the last 10 to 15 years on violent extremism with the focus being solely on islam and the problem being islam and the problem being the religion that it, it's very funny that it's just taking the same exact playbook, the t- same exact roots, and a lot of it just has been really destructive. And so what you get to, which is exactly what we had during sort of the period of time you're talking about regarding countering violent extremism, is you get these, these statements and these approaches that are people saying things like, no, I'm not opposed to Islam. Yep. Um, but we need, a, we need a moderate Islam. Oh, my goodness. We, 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 need, we need an Islam that Muslims don't believe in so much. Mm-hmm. And you hear the same kind of rhetoric around Christian nationalism. That mm-hmm. the, like, no, it's, it's not Christianity that we're opposing when we oppose Christian nationalism. Um, it's it's just the these the, the these folks are so convinced they're right, you know, and, yep. and like that that is almost verbatim, you know, from yes. these, especially from the ways that these terms have been mainstreamed. Mm-hmm. So right, like again, uh, uh, you read the academic work and the footnotes are all there, and all the caveats are all there, but this is about how these academic concepts get sort of mainstreamed uh and it's 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 not it's not helpful i also find that it becomes then very confusing and difficult to critique what needs to be critiqued about christian nationalism from within religious communities themselves drawing on their own resources because it's it, it just there there's a there's a dissonance that, again, can be reconciled, but it takes work to reconcile, well, how can Christian resources undermine Christian nationalism? Well, if, you're, if, if you've been reading Greg Boyd for, uh, uh, for uh, if you've read Greg Boyd's last, like, three books, you know, like, if you're, if you're well-read into uh, a theology against empire and sort of all these things, like, like you get it. Uh, you get how these things could be critiqued, but for others, it's like, wait. So are you, are you, are you telling me, uh, Christian is a bad thing? Like, are you telling me I need to be like less Christian? Uh, political therapeutic deism gives provides a way to name and point a finger and put a finger on. Uh, um, the ways in which religious uh, a language can be misused and over leveraged in service of one's politics. Mm-hmm. 
And I think importantly, it gets the directionality right. All of the social That's exactly what I was all about to of say. the social science that we've we, we've we've uh, we've seen take Michelle Margolis's work out of UPenn shows that it, what is not happening <laughs> uh, is that a people's religious identity is is driving their political identity. No, what's happening is p- people's political identity is driving their religious identity. Uh, What's what's happening is people's political views are coming before their religious views. This is why you can have political rallies in churches where the speakers uh, explicitly reject Jesus' teaching. Mm-hmm. And there's applause. Like, like I, I think Christian nationalism is a very poor way to go about assessing that Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me i don't think it makes sense really you 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 have to be um you have to be pretty bought in already to the critique to understand why that would be christian nationalism um and so 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 yeah i think political political therapeutic deism i think it also offers questions that you could ask uh earnest christians uh, that are honest and not manipulative. Things like, do you believe uh, that God is on your political party side? There are well-intentioned, well-meaning people who would say yes. Well, okay, let's let's explore that. Let's unpack that. What do, what 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 does that mean? Do you think your political party has ever? done anything that God would oppose. What does it mean to think that God is on your political party? It actually leads to, I think, a constructive conversation as opposed to some of the other terminology that's in place. It also gets you to the point, especially in those one-to-one conversations, your small group conversations, the stuff that happens in your day-to-day real life, it gets to behaviors as well and not just beliefs. Um, especially like taking the example of the question that you just had, you know, not, has your political party done anything that God would not approve of or has it acted in a way that God would not approve of? It allows you openings to ask those kinds of questions as well because we know that since 2016, there have been a lot of people shocked by a whole slew of people saying for years that you should behave in one way and then because of politics and the way that the cookie crumbled in 2016 and beyond all of a sudden you can behave in a different way and you know you're still covered and a lot of people are still reeling from the shock of that and so uh political therapeutic deism also allows you to again kind of like how the spirit of our politics is getting into the spirit and the character of people, the behavior, the decisions that are being made, not just what people believe in, but how they act and how they go about um, enacting those beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I I hope that, I mean, one of the things we're going to try and do over this year is, uh, yes, talk about uh, current issues, talk about the state of the election in 2024, particularly sort of as current events intersect with 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 faith we'll we'll talk 
those will have a lot of episodes that are focused on, on, on that. We also hope to, uh, this year, uh, provide some new lenses, some new, some new ways that you can take into your life of thinking about, assessing, talking about our politics uh, in a way that in a way that's helpful, in a way that may help you to put a finger on things that you weren't able to put a finger on before. Um, I I think if you look on social media, if you look at, uh, if you read your newspaper, um, if you listen to chatter uh, and talk even after church on Sunday mornings, uh, I would be surprised if, uh, the term political therapeutic deism did not seem appropriate for some of what you experience uh, in your in your life, um, and uh, it can be it can be helpful to have these kinds of frameworks for uh, uh, to identify what's what's going on. I mean, I will not stop thinking about it now in the context that I've worked in, like I mentioned before. I because I, since you created the concept many months ago, and I read the several first few drafts of the book and thought about it. I only ever thought about it in the context of Christianity, but it is a very helpful lens to think about how religion, whenever it's involved in politics, especially because of how um, secularism has affected kind of like the elite classes and academia and what comes first and what comes second, that religion is, if it's ever thrown into the mix, it's the automatic thing that people pull out as something special. And so I won't stop thinking of political therapeutic deism now outside of the context of Christianity and actually how helpful it could be as well. That's going to be on my mind a lot. <laughs> Good. I hope you don't sleep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, That's ominous. Yeah, I think that is all for this week's episode. Want to thank uh, all of you for listening. Our new listeners are so happy to to have you yes, join so us. A few things. We have a Substack. So if you like this podcast and you want written format from us, we are at whereweare.substack.com. So it's the Where We Are Substack, the same name as our podcast. If you have already bought The Spirit of Our Politics, we would really appreciate it if you would leave a review wherever it is that you bought it. If we were to give a hint, Amazon reviews are very helpful if you bought it on Amazon. Uh, and the Center for Christianity and Public Life has a question guide. A discussion guide, yeah. A discussion yeah. guide for you if you're going through the book by yourself, with a friend or family member. Small or group. Small group. Book club. Book club. Yeah. It's a free discussion guide, free and you just go to www.ccpubliclife.org, and you can sign up for it. So we're going to be telling you about that for the next few weeks, just because we know more and more small groups and church groups and book clubs are starting to take it up, yep. and we want you to know it's there. Uh, I think just finally, I have events coming up, uh, two events in D.C. Yes. Uh, this week, I'll be in Richmond, February 15th. I'll be at Wheaton, February 20th. Uh, have, uh, and then I'll be with David Brooks back yes. in D.C. Um, on February 29th. And That's so right. quite a few events coming up. Uh, you could check out my, my calendar both at michaelware.com and then also there are events uh, at ccpubliclife.org. I think that's it. I think we that's it. it. Let's end it there. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for listening to Where We Are. Bye. Bye.